The Night Owl Podcast, Campfire Episode 6, The Night of the Ghouls. Welcome to the Night Owl Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Ballou, and this is a place for all you restless spirits out there to tune in and hear true tales of the paranormal. I hunt these stories down, capture them from the mouths of those who experience them, and share them with you right here. If you have a story to tell, we're currently looking for more personal ghost stories, so if you or someone you know has one, please submit it to us for consideration. Go to thenightowlpodcast.com, click on the Submit Your Story page, and let us hear your ghost story. We'd love to consider it for the show. Tonight, we have our sixth Campfire episode of the Night Owl Podcast. Just a reminder, this show has two types of episodes— investigative and campfire episodes. Investigative episodes are where I travel to haunted places, bring my clairvoyant friend Sarah to historical research, and offer up theories and sometimes validation for the experiences people are having in their place of business or home. Campfire episodes are more like personal ghost stories you'd share around a campfire, hence the name. I've been gathering personal ghost stories from listeners around the world, selecting my favorites, and curating them to share with you here on the second Monday of every month. In tonight's campfire, I'm excited to bring you all something a little different. I know you listeners out there all hunger for horrifying stories, thirst for true tales of terror. So tonight, I'm not only sharing more ghost stories with you, these stories will be told by a delightful trio of like-minded ladies who are just as fascinated with the paranormal as you and I are. Alyssa, Emily, and Kylie are the hosts of the Golden Ghouls podcast, a paranormal podcast covering all things unexplained. But these girls inject a healthy dose of comedy into every episode, and it's quite refreshing, because sometimes it's nice to explore the darker side of this strange world we live in with a sense of humor. And these ghouls do it perfectly, and I've really been enjoying their show. But tonight, for this campfire, I'm turning the mic on these three ladies and asking them to each share their most memorable personal experiences that sparked their interest in the paranormal. And following their three tales, I'm also sharing an awesome live recording from one of our live events. In it, Melody Shifflett, who's a native Austin comedian and storyteller, shares a harrowing true tale of haunted nightmares, mysterious bruises, and possession. So stay tuned. This episode is brought to you by Oh Boy Print Shop. When you need custom t-shirts, this shop's got your back. At Oh Boy, they've made customer satisfaction and quality their top priorities. Their aim is to supply you with quality products that meet your every need. Specializing in custom screen printing for organizations, clothing companies, schools, businesses, and even events. Big or small, Oh Boy is here to help. Crisp, clean t-shirt printing without setup fees or hidden costs, and always delivered on time. Ohboyprintshop.com. That's O-H-B-O-Y printshop.com. And now, mention the Night Owl podcast and get $50 off your first order. I'd also like to announce that we have a new special offering for listeners of the show at one of our local favorite haunts, the Clay Pit. We investigated and featured this contemporary Indian restaurant in Season 1, and they've now partnered with us to offer a special Night Owl Hidden Spirits menu at their bar. On it, you'll find unique cocktails specifically designed with the show and the spirits we discovered at the Clay Pit in mind. Every drink you order off the Hidden Spirits menu at the Clay Pit, a portion of that comes right back to us. So go grab one of these special secret drinks at this haunted location and raise a glass to you, the spirits, and the show. As I mentioned, tonight I'm excited to bring a little something different to one of our campfires. I'm lucky enough to live in this amazing city, Austin, Texas, 
where I'm able to seek out, investigate, and present this magnificent town's hidden haunts. But we also have another local paranormal podcast that takes a humorous approach to all things unexplained. Ghosts, aliens, cryptids, you name it. Alyssa, Emily, and Kylie are the golden ghouls. And these three hilarious ladies have been producing a weekly podcast on the paranormal for quite some time now. What sets them apart is that they tackle this darker subject matter with a very healthy dose of humor. I'm thrilled that our paths crossed a while back, and now we're able to bring them on to each share their one defining paranormal experience that sparked their interest in what they do. The girls did warn me their stories weren't as intense or lengthy as the ones I typically feature on my show, but I didn't care. These ghouls are awesome, and I wanted to know what incident sparked their curiosity in the unexplained. I know I have my own origin story, if you will, and I wanted to know theirs. Paranormal podcaster to fellow paranormal podcaster, I was curious. So I invited them over to my place to sit out back by a warm campfire and share each of their personal ghost stories. The first ghoul to hop in the hot seat this night was Emily. I had no clue what any of these ghouls' experiences were about, so I was very excited when Emily began recounting her experience that happened at none other than the famously haunted Stanley Hotel, the hotel that Stephen King and his family got stranded at that would later inspire one, if not the most, defining books of his career, The Shining. My name's Emily from the Golden Ghouls, and I am 26 now. I was 16 at the time that I had my, well, at least what I felt like was like my first real ghost encounter. Growing up, I've always had a huge interest in things unexplained, and of course, my parents did too. My parents were, when they first met, they went to the manger together and stayed in one of the rooms that a lady had been shot outside of and used a Ouija board to try to contact her. So they they do this and want to do this for a living. They had no concern what effect it would have on me. <laughs> I was 16 and I was in Estes Park, Colorado with my family. My family are all big horror and movie buffs. And so we naturally love The Shining, written by Stephen King, but the movie by Stanley Kubrick, we love that too. We went to Estes Park over the summer in Colorado and we got to stay actually at the Stanley, which is a hotel that the movie and, and the book was based after, The Shining. If you've ever read it, Stephen King, he got to stay in the hotel while he wrote this book. So it was kind of based off of that whole experience he had. He stayed there during the winter with his family and he stayed on the second floor. If you go to this house, it's completely the same as it was back in like 1910 when Stanley, Mr. Stanley, who did Stanley Steamers, the cars, he he had this house as a summer house. He had TV and he had to go to Colorado to go get better. Apparently the fresh air there makes you less ill. So he has this house and it was a summer house for a long time until they changed it into a hotel. Stephen King comes here. He stays there with the family. He has this whole haunted experience in this house where he just sees a bunch of things and writes this book. 
So now it is still a hotel, but they have a bunch of paranormal investigations there. They have a bunch of ghost tours. I didn't know that this place even existed, this hotel that was based on The Shining. So it was a surprise to me when we arrived, and it was a surprise to me when my family and I were on the ghost tour, and my dad on the third floor says, oh, hey, Emily, this is your room you're staying in for the night. And I'm like, what the hell, y'all? No, like, I'm not staying here. So I had, it was just a shock. So I'm staying in this in this nanny suite with my family, and it's totally creepy. They kept it completely the same as the 1900s. No air conditioning. The sheets were like white linen. I just I can't describe it. It was totally scary. There was a there was a tricycle in the corner of the room, which like what the hell? What does that mean? There, there was a dollhouse on the right. Like that was a no. So I just looked at my father. I said, there's no way you're sleeping in here. I'm sleeping down the hall with your wife because it's not happening. So I thought I was going to be safe for the night, right? No ghost experiences at all. Before we go to bed, we have like a little walk around the veranda. You know, it was a beautiful night. Estes Park, Colorado. As we were walking down the front porch, you could see like the bottom attic through through these windows and I had passed the first window and the lights were on and I saw this couple and they they looked like they were either like holding each other in some embrace or they were dancing but I saw them it looked totally normal I walked past this window and then I walked past the next and the lights are out nobody was in there at all And I was like, wait, what? So I'm going back and forth, like, what the hell? Like, how does that add up? And it's dark. Nobody's in there. And this room was like the tour guide center. So that's where everybody would go when they were coming to see the ghost tours. I told my parents, who were like, oh, yay, how fun. You saw ghosts or whatever. And I was like, "What? I don't think I did. I must have been, like, imagining something. So I just wrote it off. That night, I'm like starting to shake. We go up and we get into bed. I'm sleeping with my mother because I cannot sleep alone next to a dollhouse and a tricycle. I get into bed with my mom. I'm fully, I have to be like completely covered, guys, because I can't even touch the sheets. I have to put socks on my hands. I put towels down. I can't, I won't touch anything. I'm fully freaked out at this point. On the TV, they play a continual loop of The Shining, the movie. That's all they play. Yeah, and it's like a 50s TV, which is even worse. And again, there's no air conditioning, so you're sweating. And of course, I'm like drip sweating because I'm in everything I own at this point. I even showered in a swimsuit with my Tevas on. Yeah. So I finally drift off to sleep. And the weirdest thing happens. My, My mom gets a phone call in the middle of the night saying our house alarm is going off back in San Antonio, Texas. So that kind of woke us up. It was weird. The cops said nobody was there, so we were fine. Drifted back off to sleep, so I thought. I kind of was a little bit awake when I saw a shadow of, like, somebody standing at the end of the bed, and I was like, oh, it's my dad. Like, I just kind of thought that while I was sleeping. And so I said, Dad, get out of here. 
and I remember my mom kind of stirring, and then he just turns around and walks out, and then that was it. And I woke up in the morning thinking, like, wait, like, that was so weird. Why would he come in our room in the middle of the night? I don't think he did. I have to ask him. So I did. I I went to him the next day and was like, hey, did you come in the room? Like, were you checking on us because of the alarm that had gone off or whatever? And he said, no, like, I never came in your room. I was fast asleep. I didn't even know about the alarm. So... There was, like, no explanation for either events that happened to me at the Stanley. We only stayed one night. That morning, we, like, took off really early and drove into, like, Denver or something. Um, But, yeah, at 16, I kind of just, like, wrote both things off because I was like, that was crazy. Why would I have, like, that's just absurd, Emily. You were just scared, make-believing things, but now... Knowing that I said things twice after it happened, it was so real to me, and it still is to this day. I'm like, I I know that that was something else. And, like, now I just feel how many times could we just be walking around and average people are not really average people. Ironically enough, on vacation to Colorado in 2014 with my wife, We'd unknowingly discovered the Stanley Hotel was in the town of Estes Park, where we were staying for the duration of the trip. I obviously knew of the Stanley, but never knew what town it was in, so I was pleasantly surprised to learn it was near us on our trip. So we actually planned a nightly ghost tour before our trip ended there. I toured the entire building and grounds with a small group. The tour wasn't spectacular, but the place sure as hell was. But one moment in the night, the only time in the whole tour that I felt a bit uneasy, was when we visited the concert hall. The tour group took us down into the basement of the hall. They explained that there was a spirit of a young girl named Lucy who was very active in this part of the building. The building was dark and we were led only by flashlights into the back room, where the guide informed us that Lucy was a runaway that was discovered squatting in this very part of the building many years ago. Staff had to run her off, but sadly the temperatures that night dropped below zero and her body was discovered the next morning. Standing here in the dark room... The tour guide pointed out that she had purposefully left the door we came through open so we could keep an eye on it. She explained that Lucy's most common reported activity is shutting that door. We were in the room for a good five to seven minutes, standing in the dark, listening to the guide ask Lucy to come in and touch one of us or close the door. I honestly felt it was very gimmicky and I was ready to call it a night when suddenly the door began to move. I saw it clearly. It was slowly falling shut. The group fell silent we moved closer to the door to get a closer look at what was happening. The door was, in fact, moving shut. And in the silent darkness of the room, we all held our breath as the door reached its full closed position and clicked shut. It was completely wide open a second ago, and now it had completely closed on its own. It wasn't a fast slam, but it wasn't extremely slow either. You know me and how my brain works. I wanted to examine the door. The hinges weren't spring-loaded, and my first thought after this was that the building was unlevel naturally so the door would eventually fall shut in a slow manner like we'd witnessed. But they let me stomp around and check the door out. It didn't move when we reopened it and tested it. I also recalled how we'd been in there for over five minutes with the door opened and nothing happened at all. And no one was near the door when it started to move. We were all on the opposite side of the room. I left that room very curious about what we just witnessed. Sadly, hard evidence of this girl they called Lucy is very hard to dig up. There's no certainty about who she was and when her tragic passing actually occurred, or even if it occurred at all. 
but there were a lot of accounts of her online. And when I did some digging after hearing Emily's story, I found something interesting I wanted to conclude this segment with. Emily was sleeping on the third floor when she saw the male figure in her room she believed to be her father. Well, a common report for a room on the third floor is sightings of a male shadow figure. And another common third floor account is an unseen force that likes to touch women. I wonder, was this the figure that Emily saw the night her and her mother slept alone in their room on the third floor? And as for my experience, I wasn't 100% convinced that the door closing was paranormal, but the hundreds of stories surrounding this historically haunted hotel in Estes Park, Colorado, paired with this incident, did raise the hair on the back of my neck just a little that night. Next up, we'll hear from another member of the Golden Ghouls, Kylie. Once more, I didn't have a clue what her story was about. She warned me that it was a small one, but when she started recounting it, I was immediately thrilled that it was centered around the Danvers State Hospital in Danvers, Massachusetts. This massive historic asylum was constructed in 1878 on Hawthorne Hill, which is where Judge John Hawthorne once lived. Interesting and eerie note, Judge Hawthorne was the actual judge who presided over the Salem Witch Trials, and many theorized that the dark history that Danvers State Hospital saw was the direct result of a curse on the land for the horrific executions Judge Hawthorne carried out during the Witch Trials. The hospital was originally named the State Lunatic Asylum at Danvers. It was erected because there was a growing belief that people with psychological issues needed a place to be cured of their ailments. The structure was massive, 40 buildings and housing over 450 patients. However, the numbers of patients grew and state funding would not allow for expansion with additional buildings or staff, so the hospital suffered with overpopulation and understaffing. Patients were not getting better, they were getting worse. When staff realized that shock therapy and straitjackets just weren't doing the trick, they reverted to other extreme measures to cure insanity. They began performing lobotomies and would eventually become known as the birthplace of the prefrontal lobotomy, which is basically sticking an ice pick up a patient's nose and severing connections to the frontal lobe. This often left patients in a vegetative state, mindlessly wandering the halls, naked and covered in their own filth. What was once a 450-capacity hospital had now swelled to an unimaginable 2,360 patients in 1940. Treatment was inhumane and led to many deaths. And to this day, there are still 768 unmarked graves in the Denver State Hospital Cemetery. My name's Kylie, and I've lived in Austin for about four years. I'm 29 years old, but I'm originally from... Massachusetts, specifically a super small town called Wenham, which was part of Salem, Massachusetts, a few hundred years ago. If anyone is familiar with the Salem Witch Trials, Sarah Good was one of the first three girls to be accused of witchcraft, and her house is down the street from my childhood home. Growing up right next to Salem, My friends and I, we were really into the paranormal and witches and ghosts, etc. And it gets super wild around Halloween. And at the age of, I want to say 15 or 16, we decided to go to the Danvers State Asylum or Danvers State Hospital, which is on the other side of Salem. So it's my town, Salem, Danvers. And this hospital... It's pretty famous, um, at least on the East Coast. The movie Session 9 was based off of it, (laughs) a great film. And 
at the time, it was pretty renowned for being the best of the best. So they hired a famous architect, and the style was Victorian Gothic. So, you know, picture kind of like an Ivy League school, but it's a hospital. There are like cathedrals, um, connected buildings everywhere, and it's on top of the biggest hill in Danvers. So on the other side of the building, it overlooks the North Shore. You can see the Boston skyline. It's pretty picturesque during the day, but at night, it's scary AF. So in, I want to say, 92, it was shut down from lack of funding, which happened with a lot of mental institutions. But nobody purchased the building because it's massive, and I think they basically just kicked everyone out and locked the doors and left. So it was dormant for quite a bit. So I was 16, so it must have been 2000, 2005, 2006. And my friends and I decided to explore the Danvers State Asylum. (laughs) So we had heard, rumor had it, was that the cops in Danvers, they don't have much to do. So they're aware that people are trespassing. So what we did was park uh, way at the bottom of the hill. And I remember we used our flip phones, because that's what we had back then, to see the road in front of us, because we didn't want to use our flashlights, because then the cops would see. So we're walking up this winding, spooky road full of trees, and it was, I think it was in the fall, so there are leaves on the ground, so it's crunching, and we're trying to be, like, super quiet, but we're using our flip phones, and I was scared. I don't usually get scared, but I was like, what's going to happen? Like, this place is supposed to be haunted. The cops might get us. So we walk up. We finally get to the gate, and the gate itself is scary. Like, it's it's huge. It's probably the length of, like, a telephone pole, and um, it's iron, and it has, like, it's just very intricate, um, what you would imagine in a horror movie. So we snuck around the side of the gate, and we had heard that the best way to sneak in to the hospital was through the main door. So... We go up to the main door, lo and behold, it opens, but then it's all blocked off. And so my friend starts removing the plywood, and we get inside and we take out our flashlights. And the main room, again, it looks like this was from a horror movie, like the set of a scary movie. The the wallpaper's still intact, um, everything's very fancy. There was like a fireplace, and then there were random chairs everywhere. There were also a few wheelchairs lining the hallway. And we're like, okay, this is creepy. Like, <laughs> did someone set this up for us? Like, this, we didn't think that that's what it was going to look like. Uh, there were some file cabinets, and we started going through the file cabinets. We're like, oh, what can we find? And most of it was, you know, boring patient files. But then we got to one that said lobotomies. And this hospital was known as one of the first places to perform lobotomies. And so a friend took that folder. And then we also found some folders that said deceased. So they were, you know, deceased patients. And there were rumors of uh, the way they disposed of bodies while the hospital was running. So we're going through some stuff. And we're just hanging around, you know, joking around, and we decide to just sit down in the middle of the room. We're sitting in a circle. I want to say there's four, four or five of us. And we're looking at the files, and then 
my friend Jesse, he goes, do you think there are ghosts in here? And I kid you not, the second he said that, we hear what sounds like a drop of water. The volume at which this happened was so loud. It was like a church bell or like it was surround sound in this room with an echo but the room didn't have the right structure to create an echo so the noise was almost I don't know it was it was bizarre it sounded like it was over a, like an audio system it was so so loud it was almost deafening and it scared all of us so much that we immediately ran out of there ran down the hill with our flashlights because we we're like, we don't care if we get caught, we just need to get the hell out of here. And it made me wonder, I've never seen a ghost visually, but, you know, can they transpire in other ways, like, with sound? Like, I don't know. It was, it was just such a weird, I want to say, paranormal experience because the second that we said, you know, are there any ghosts in here? And then we hear this noise that we can't even explain. So I don't know. I still can't explain it. And it's since been, I want to say most, maybe 90% of it has been knocked down and turned into condos, but they still have the main building. And I have since been there. And of course, it's not as spooky as it was when I first went, but I have heard stories of people seeing ghosts who live there. I was secretly jealous that Kylie got to visit Denver State Hospital before it was mostly torn down. I actually was and am a huge fan of the film Kylie referenced, Session 9, which was shot on location at Denver's. The story follows an asbestos crew working on an abandoned building who all start to question their sanity when they each begin to witness unexplained phenomena. It's a little horror hidden gem for those horror fans out there that I honestly thoroughly enjoyed because of its subtlety, use of atmosphere, and the struggle that many of us face when we encounter something that we can't explain. Is this real, or am I just crazy? And there are in fact apartments and condos now in this building's place, but the main center of the building remains. The design of the original asylum, if seen from the sky, resembles a bat, a head in the center with expanding wings on either side. The head is what has been preserved. And one other thing still remains at Danvers, the cemetery, with over 700 unmarked graves for those who lost their lives at this asylum. Each tombstone etched with a number instead of a name. And there's a sign that hangs above the cemetery that reads, Danvers State Hospital Cemetery, the echoes they left behind. I find the choice of the word echo to describe the dead here to be interesting. Don't you? Last but not least for this collection of stories from the Golden Ghouls, we have Alyssa. Her story is much more personal, so I'd rather let it unfold through her mouth. But I'd like to thank Alyssa for stepping out of her comfort zone to open up and share such a personal and emotional experience with us at this campfire. The story involves her family, a tragic loss, and the haunting that came after. My name is Alyssa. I'm originally from Dallas-Fort Worth, Arlington, which is where this story actually takes place. I am 27 now, but this happened, it started happening the summer before I went into second grade. So that summer, it's a, it's a little bit dark, so <laughs> bear with me. Um, my uncle took his own life that summer. It was very hard on my entire family. I was actually there the night that my grandma got the call. So the way my house was set up, the, my bedroom window was before the front door of my house. 
So when my uncle would come over, he would always knock on my window before he came to the front door. And he and I were super close, so I was super excited when he would come over, so he knew that I, like, would love if he did that. But that same week, I started hearing those knocks that first week. And I was scared to tell my parents. There was just that fear that, like, I wouldn't be believed. A few years pass. When my sister was a year old was when my uncle had passed away. It was really hard for everybody, so we actually didn't have any pictures of him around the house anymore. It was just a really, really touchy subject. So fast forward a few years, my sister's four years old. I am in my bedroom playing. I hear this blood-curdling scream from my sister. She comes running out of her room. I come running out of my room. She runs to my mom and she says, there's a man in my room, there's a man in my room. My mom is like freaking out. Naturally, your four-year-old child is saying there's a man in her room. So she gets us. My mom's best friend lived next door, so we were going to go over there. My mom was like, we're calling the cops. So we get to her house, and my mom was like, you have to tell us what this man looked like. And my sister was like, well, he had red hair, and he wanted me to tell you that he loved dad. It was my dad's brother who had passed away. My mom and I looked at each other, and we knew exactly who it was. Like, there was, there was no denying it. There was no way that she had known what he looked like or remembered him from her being a year old when he passed away. So then I told my mom, well, I've, I've heard things, and I've seen him in the house. I had remembered an experience that I had tried to suppress where I walked past the bathroom in the hallway and I saw the shadow of a man in there. And I was, I told myself it didn't happen. Well, my mom was like, I didn't want to tell anyone either, but the night of the funeral, I was awoken by something. It sounded almost like someone whispered in my ear. And I rolled over to check on your dad because I thought maybe he had woken up and, you know, it, was, it had been a hard day. And I saw what looked like a misty figure of your uncle. And immediately it darted down the hallway as soon as I rolled over. I was like, oh my gosh, so, so he is here. My mom was like, I, I totally believe you because I've seen it too. So my dad became obsessed with making contact. He bought a Ouija board. He would leave voice recorders all over our house asking questions constantly because we heard things. We saw things my dad never got to, which is the hardest part because that was his brother. And I think he came to us because he knew it would be too hard for my dad in a way, but that that whole experience has, it just kind of like kickstarted me seeing things very early on. It's why I do what I do today. It's why I'm still looking for answers. I am in part of a paranormal podcast called The Golden Ghouls with Kylie and Emily. We are a paranormal comedy podcast because it can be a little bit hard to talk about at times. So giving it that lightness is kind of refreshing. All paranormal aliens, ghosts, you name it, we'll talk about it. Each episode, we kind of pick a theme that we're feeling passionate about that week. Maybe we visited a place recently and we want to research a little bit further, or we've watched something and it's kind of sparked our interest in that. The experiences that I had as a child, which have continued into my life, those are what have 
led me to look for more answers, to research, to investigate when we have the chance. So that's where I'm at now. Be sure to check out Alyssa, Emily, and Kylie's podcast, The Golden Ghouls. You can find them on your favorite podcast apps like Apple Podcasts or Spotify. They were honestly a real pleasure to have at my campfire, and I love that they are another team of paranormal enthusiasts here in Austin, Texas. After this short break, I'm going to share with you a live recording of Austin comedian Melody Shiflett recounting a horrific experience she had living in a home in East Austin. Stay tuned. This episode is brought to you by Oh Boy Print Shop, custom printed t-shirts made in Austin with love. Have you ever ordered custom tees from an event or bought some from your favorite band or company, only to realize that they're thick, scratchy, and look like you're wearing a bag that isn't very flattering on you? That's one thing that won't happen to you when you're with Oh Boy Print Shop. They offer a variety of t-shirts to provide the right choice to meet your needs. I myself prefer comfortable, slightly fitted tees that look and feel awesome enough to wear every day, either by themselves or under a throwover shirt or sweater. Old Boy Print Shop helped me pick out a tee that fit those needs, and honestly, when I open my closet in the morning, I skip all my other tees and go straight for the Night Owl shirt, because it's the most comfortable and flattering tee in my entire closet now. Oh Boy's aim is to provide you with the options that help you get the product that meets your every need. So, there's no more need for hesitating. Order your first batch of custom printed tees with Oh Boy Print Shop today, and you'll be in great hands. Plus, now you can get $50 off your first order by simply mentioning the Night Owl Podcast. So what are you waiting for? Visit ohboyprintshop.com. That's O-H-B-O-Y printshop.com. Another thing that keeps this show going is listeners going and supporting our show by grabbing a drink off our special hidden spirits menu at the Clay Pit in Austin, Texas. The menu features four uniquely crafted cocktails inspired by our show and the spirits that we discovered haunting the Clay Pit building. We even have a virgin cocktail option for any fans under 21. On the menu, we have our signature drink, the Night Owl Martini. It perfectly combines bourbon and cold brew with a touch of ancho chili spice and it's guaranteed to elevate anyone's spirit. And one of my favorites on the menu is a drink called El Engaño, which means the deception. Handsome yet deceptive, this drink is a sophisticated twist on the old-fashioned, and it truly represents this establishment's seediest specter, Dowdy. We also have a botanist Aperol Spritz. It's fresh, herbaceous, and crisp, with a touch of bitterness that we can expect this building's strong female phantom, April, would surely appreciate. And lastly, we have our Hibiscus Palmer. Sweet, tart, and refreshing, this drink was inspired by the hardest working spirit at the clay pit, Stedman. This unique take on the Arnold Palmer features house-made raspberry hibiscus tea combined with lemonade. You can have this one with spirits or without. Simply add deep eddy lemon vodka to make this drink haunted. So head on over to the clay pit, visit one of our favorite haunted locations from season one, and order yourself a drink off our Night Owl Hidden Spirits menu. Just ask for it behind the bar. Thanks for your continued support. What's up, guys? I'm Melody. Are we having a good time tonight? Yeah. Um, Excuse me if I'm a little bit of a comedian right now, uh, where I'm like, oh, I want to relate. But um, my parents had always uh, told me that they said, Melody, if a man ever puts his hands on you, you leave him. But they didn't mention anything about ghosts. The reason I got kicked out of my first apartment was because uh, my roommate's friend got in a fist fight with this Satanist who was a neighbor, and apparently that's against the lease. (laughs) Um, 
Yeah, so I got kicked out, and my mom was constantly kicking me out. I wanted a good environment to finish high school. <laughs> I was working at a cafe. I needed a new house, ASAP. So I decided to move in with my friends, Martin and Jesus. Not Jesus, Jesus. He drove a really loud truck and uh, stretched his ear nub out with a crochet needle. You know, he's just a fun guy. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Martin also had like a green mohawk and was uh, put in special ed for doing no work and uh, had overalls. You know, he's just a fun guy also. We're all just trying to get, we're trying to call somewhere home. So we find this great four bedroom on the east side. This was a newly remodeled four bedroom house on the east side and it was a thousand dollars. Do the math, two fifty a room. Yes, baby. Um, yeah, you know, gunshots, muggings, peppered throughout. This is in Detroit. Calm down. Yeah, pretty much a, a great deal for us. So we needed a fourth. They knew this older punk guy named Roddy. And, um, you know, me as an 18-year-old little baby face, I didn't think anything of, like, this 40-year-old punk dude moving in with us. I thought... You know, he's like, he works at a pizza shop, and he likes horror movies. Yeah, dude, me too. Like, what's, what's the deal? You can totally uh, rent a room with us. It turns out he's a piece of shit, like a sack of shit. Wow, I didn't know that. Why, you want to live with 18-year-olds? You're 40. Okay, yeah. Um, just saying. He's also just a sack of shit, which really prepared me for meeting dudes in my later 20s. It was honestly a great prep course. Um, so anyway, we're all choosing our rooms in this house. And to understand this house, you have to understand that it was a one-bedroom, one-bedroom single unit with a garage workspace underneath, right? So uh, originally, there's the one-bedroom, and then there's garage workspace underneath. There's stairs that go down to the garage. The way it was renovated was that they walled off that one part and then built out the three bedrooms, the bathroom, etc. So the room that I chose had the closet that was underneath the stairs. So my closet goes like this, and then it dips down, and there's a little cube where the stairs turn, and there's a little more stairs. So it creates this little cube right here, which I'm like, oh my god, that's so cool. I'm going to paint it, I'm going to make a little smoke room, put Christmas lights, and throw pillars, and be so tight. Yeah. Okay, great. Perfect. I'm going to do that. So we move in there. A couple of minutes in, I was going to go paint that little the little room. I was very into painting my room at the time because I had just been sexually assaulted by one of my friends in high school. I confronted him about it and lost a lot of friends over it. And so I was really trying to feel myself and finish high school. <laughs> you know, just get over it, man. Just paint your room. <laughs> Listen to your favorite songs. So what I painted my main room was the olive green and then a burgundy red trim. And I had both paints left over. However, I chose for the little cube the blood red. I'm just going to go ahead and paint it that. Uh, so I go in there, you know, a couple of months after, and I'm like, oh, that's going to be great. And I start rolling in there. And then I just, like, start felt really scared all of a sudden. It's like, I, I feel like I'm not alone right now. And it's like, okay, 
So I popped my head out of the closet. Nobody? Okay. Well, maybe it's just like fumes, you know. Sure. (laughs) Let's just stop the project for now. We'll just, we'll deal with that later. Well, a couple of weeks after that, one night I was at home and I just, I didn't feel like myself. Like I felt like, like someone else was driving the bus, you know, like someone else was, was moving my body forward and like choosing my actions. And I felt really, really strange all of a sudden. And I was like, okay, well, I'm just going to go to bed. And so I went to bed. I sat on the edge of my bed and I laid back with my wrists open like this. And that night I had a bunch of nightmares, which I've, I've had nightmares before. Um, and usually these were interesting because normally my nightmares are more like, and this is like, you know, I've had nightmares as a kid, as an adult, you know, as a teenager, whatever. They've never been like this. Like I've always like seen imagery, disturbing imagery, something that I witness. This was like, I was the subject and I was living in it and it was so real. It wasn't a surreal narrative. It was something that was being told as time went on. And I was wearing these impossibly small clothes that were like binding on my, on my waist and my arms were tied backwards and I was being fed poison and I was puking and being dragged around in a basement for hours. And I was trying to drag myself to a trash can just to puke in it. And I could feel myself just heaving and heaving. And I woke up and I was like, (gasps) I looked at my arms and there were bruises all over them. And I'm not an active sleeper. I sleep like the dead. Like I really, hailstorms, hell or high water, I'm dead asleep. I'm not like a scratchy I don't move around, I don't sleepwalk, I don't do anything like that. So this was very, very odd. One of the main ones was this big knot right here and had this small like bruising around it, like a teardrop like this. And then these finger mark bruises on both arms, like something pulling me like this. And I was like, okay, well... I work in a restaurant, you know, maybe that's it. You know, something normal. Um, Sure. But as I went throughout my day, that feeling didn't leave me. It was like something else was, I wasn't alone in my head. Something else was there. And that thing was giving me these like, violent images of like just they would just flash and I would try to blink and be like stop where it was just like mangled corpses and like blood and just stop like I would only get a flash I also started hating women for no fucking reason like not just like that this bitch thinks she's better than me like no not that like just like hating their very being just for being Like, just the way you talk and the way you are, just hating them for no fucking reason. And I could feel, I could feel my inner self being like, why is this happening? Why? And I would go, okay, well, 
I'm just going to go back to bed. I'm just going to, you know, maybe I need to have a better go-to-sleep process. <laughs> maybe that's it. I should just be healthier. This one's on me. Um, <laughs> it's really my fault at this point. Um, no, so I would try to be healthier and just, like, try to go to bed. And at this point, as I was trying to go to sleep healthily, I would hear these knocks from the closet. Like, the top of my bed was right against the closet. I would just hear it all over the wall. Hereditary, dude. Yeah. Um, and there are no pipes. There's no pipes in that wall. There's no old studs. There's no old wood to pop. What is that? What is that? You know? And this thing was like laughing at me as I would try to go to sleep. Just like, got you. And as I would go to sleep, I would have the nightmare, wake up again, more finger mark bruises, more, just more. And the, the bruise right here with the knot in the middle got bigger and it turned into an eye. That's what the teardrop bruising was. And I would try to leave the room, you know, not stay in the room, shut all the lights off, shut the door, open it back up, and there it was. Uh, every, every light in there was on. Every, the, the fan was on full blast, just the whole thing being like, ha, gotcha. And so, you know, I started asking my friends, just being like, <laughs> you know, you guys, uh, what do you think about possession? Or, <laughs> it was like a casual, you guys believe in ghosts? Or, no? Cool. What would you do if you... And I had a couple of friends who would believe in ghosts, and they'd be like, oh, that's really cool. And it was like, what if I want to make it leave? And they were like, I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't know about that, dude. Um, some more of that, more bruises, more nightmares. And the thing that I felt from it was that there was some kind of, some kind of promiscuous sexual woman died in that house, and I couldn't tell if it was the person that killed her or if it was her. And that's why I was open to it in the first place, because it was like, if it's her just trying to tell me something, I just want to hear it. You know, I want to be open to whatever you're telling me. But at this point, I was like, well, it doesn't matter anymore, because whatever you're saying, Mama, is not coming through. You know, like, it's enough from you. Like, whatever you have to say, you're going to have to try somebody else's channels now. Or, you know, is it the murderer? I don't know. But at the end of the day, I'm the one with bruises and nightmares, and it has to stop. So my sister came over. And my sister and I, like, we, we used to talk to each other, like, while we were sleeping. We'd have full conversations as kids. We would, like, feel the other person in a different city and start crying when the other one was crying randomly. We, we understand each other. There's, um, they said we should have been twins because that's how, how strongly we're linked. So she comes over and she's like, okay, okay, let's say it's a murderer. What are you going to do about it? And I was like, well, I want it to leave. 
I was like, all right, let's do that. <laughs> okay. Um, so we go in my room and we camp out. She's like, we're just going to make a presence in here. And I was like, hell yeah, dude. So she's got her, uh, she's laying on a little pallet on the floor. She's reading. We're both trying to chill out. And at this point, I had already covered the window because uh, there were faces showing up in the branches. You know what I'm saying. Um, So she's reading her book. And all of a sudden, she looks up. And she goes, oh, my God. And her pupils start wiggling. And I was like, Ashley, what's happening? What, what's going on? And she was like, oh, sorry. My, um, my eyes just do that sometimes when something moves in front of them while I'm focusing. And I was like, okay, so you were reading. So, like, what moved? She was like, don't worry about it. You know, <laughs> just don't. Ah. <laughs> and then she fell asleep. Like a bitch. No. <laughs> like, you're supposed to help me, dude. <laughs> um, anyway, so she's asleep now, and I'm stuck there with the thing. And it's there. The, the closet lights are on, so we, we wanted to just wake it, let it know that, it's, that we're there. Yeah, what's up, dude? Yeah, exactly. And it's there, and it's laughing at me. Like, inside my head, it's like, I have you already. Look at what I've already done to you. I have you. What, what's, the, what's this fight about? Like, it could feel my resistance. And all I could say was, no, no, no. You cannot have my mind. You can't have it. This is not your territory. You have to leave. And it kept taunting me. But I made myself go to sleep with this mantra of just, no, this is mine, this isn't yours. This is mine, this isn't yours. No, no, over and over again. And I went to sleep, and when I woke up in the morning, it was gone. The thing is, um, you don't owe evil your understanding. You don't. You don't owe it your submission or your vulnerability. You just deserve to stop being hurt, period. And there is a big difference between being open to, to other beings and not advocating for yourself. Exactly. And sometimes it's enough to believe in yourself and be believed in. So... Who's going to save your soul? That's up to you. This was a live recording from October 11, 2018. Melody is a native Austinite and local comic. She continually performs comedy throughout Austin, and you can find and follow her on Instagram with the handle at Melody Shiflet. That's M-E-L-O-D-Y-S-H-I-F-F-L-E-T or on Twitter at Smelody Snifflet. And as we close this campfire, I'd like to point out how Melody's story illustrates how many of the horrors that we face, whether they be paranormal or not, can be overcome with inner strength and belief in yourself. I greatly appreciated her sharing such a raw and personal story with us at our live event last October, and felt that it fit nicely in with this campfire episode. 
featuring local ladies who've all encountered something supernatural in their lives and who also now look back at it all with a healthy sense of humor. And speaking from experience, sometimes when we're really afraid or upset, laughter can truly be the best medicine. Thanks for listening to our sixth Campfire episode of the Night Owl Podcast. Our investigation into Pioneer Farms continues on June 24th. In episode 20, I'll begin seeking validation through historical research on this vast property. Return to the farm with Sarah three more times to seek more answers. And lastly, I make numerous surprising discoveries that help piece together this complex paranormal puzzle surrounding Pioneer Farms. I'd like to thank my team, Sarah, Alexis, and Franklin for going on these crazy adventures with me, Nicholas Fair and Petey Wilder for your talented musical contributions to the show, Jennifer for keeping us organized and on schedule, as well as assistant editing, my dad, Sam, for his historical research assistance, Alex for his help assistant editing, and my very supportive wife, Tao, for sticking with me all these late nights and long hours, and for taking amazing photographs on every case. And last but not least, David Dalton of Driftworks Sound for mastering every single episode on the tight turnarounds I give him. Please support their works by visiting our website, thenightowlpodcast.com, and clicking on the About tab. There you can find links to all their individual works and websites. And to help keep this show going, and my team and I fed and caffeinated, please support us for as little as a dollar a month on our Patreon page. This contribution not only helps me keep this show alive, you gain access to a ton of cool behind-the-scenes stuff. So please visit patreon.com backslash the Night Owl podcast and become a Night Owl patron today. And a special thanks to this episode's sponsor, Oh Boy Print Shop. If you have the need for custom t-shirt printing, you can feel at ease in the hands of Oh Boy Print Shop. Be sure to mention the Night Owl podcast to get $50 off your first order. And don't forget to stop by the Clay Pit in Austin, Texas and ask for the Night Owl Hidden Spirits menu. Grab a special haunted cocktail and support the show. Thank you all and stay restless out there. This podcast was mastered by David Dalton of Driftwork Sound. If you're ready to up the production quality of your podcasts or music, go to driftworksound.com. That's D-R-I-F-T, worksound.com. And get your project mixed, mastered, or produced using well-established methods and unconventional techniques. That's driftworksound.com. And remember, your first master is completely free.